Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite really now there, Matt Balaka, uh, to deliver the word to us. Good morning, everybody. Nice to be here this morning, and uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 3, 7. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about this morning is that, you know, doing a sermon series is kind of hard for me. Well, do, just doing a sermon is hard for me. I get nervous and you know, butterflies and all the rest. And that's sort of how it is with evangelism. So there's a connection there, right? You, you get nervous, and as I remember it, as, as a kid, you would, you would have to face those times of nervousness and butterflies, and you, you had to push through them. And I think when you become an adult, it becomes less frequent that you have to do that, but you still have to do it. And I think evangelism gets us all in a place of butterflies in the stomach. And, and here I am this morning with with the same butterflies. But I am better prepared this week than I was last week. You see, I brought, I brought my tissue with me, just in case things get, in case things get tough. Um, last week, we looked at uh, what is the evangel, trying to get a better understanding of just what the gospel is, right? In order to understand what evangelism is, we have to get straight what the gospel is, what the evangel is. Jesus came into this world to save sinners from hell and death and suffering, and, and he came to give us his righteousness and fit us for heaven, as we've been hearing about this morning. So as we move now to what is evangelism, uh, simply put, evangelism is the communication of the gospel, the communication of the evangel. That's the simple answer to it, and we'll expand on that. Um, just like last week's message, I don't, I don't anticipate that what I'm sharing with you all is going to be brand new to you. It's not news to you. I mean, most of you know what the gospel is, or you're Christians, and most of you know what evangelism is, the idea of sharing the gospel, communicating the gospel with others. It's not new to you, but, um, you know, we can always do good um, by clarifying things for us. That helps. You know, you, you've heard the gospel. You've You've probably communicated the gospel to others, but as you hear it from other people, we sort of get things clarified, and that, that's what I hope to do this morning, to clarify things for us, um, and even for those of us who are, are pretty clear on the gospel and, and what evangelism is, really hearing it again just solidifies it for us, right? We want to have the gospel, as Brad said last week, on the tip of our tongues. We, we want to be ready, and hearing it again and again just gets you, gets you prepared to share it. So four things this morning that I want to cover. Um, we want to talk about the origin of communication. Uh, because evangelism has to do with communicating the gospel, we want to talk about communication uh, and the origin of communication. Then we'll talk about planting and watering. You'll see why when we get there. Then we'll get to effective communication. And then finally, the four elements of the gospel, which is the content of our communication when we're presenting the gospel. Um, we're going to be looking at several texts this morning, and since this is topical, it's not like, we're, not like we're looking specifically at one text, but the text that um, we're starting off with is Luke 3.7, which, just in case 
you like trivia stuff like this, Matthew 3.7 and Luke 3.7 cover the exact same passage. So I could have read Matthew 3.7 and it would have been the, the exact same thing. I thought that was just kind of neat. Let's pray and then we'll read. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for the work that you've done in our hearts, in our minds, with your gospel. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be at work with us this morning, that we might um, be reminded of, of what many of us already know and, and be solidified in, in the clarity of the gospel and, and just what it means to share the gospel. We know, Lord, that we're here because the gospel was shared to us at some point. And, uh, and we want to prepare ourselves um, and be ready to share it um, as your spirit gives us opportunity. So we ask that you would help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Luke 3, 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Amen. This is God's holy word. What does this have to do with evangelism? <laughs> you might be asking. Well, just a couple of comments on it. There's an answer to this question. Uh, this is John the Baptist talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have come out to his baptism. And John the Baptist sees them. He recognizes that these Pharisees and Sadducees are not the most righteous religious leaders. And he says, who warned you? And the answer would, would have to be, well, somebody warned them. Someone told him that John the Baptist was baptizing people. This was a brood of vipers, not saved people. And fleeing was necessary. Fleeing was necessary because of the coming wrath. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? John was the forerunner to Jesus. And so the idea was to flee from the wrath of God and flee to the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. So as we think about that, um, recognize that someone communicated the warning to you. Someone communicated to you that wrath was coming for sin. And it's worth your time to think about who that was. Who, who communicated the gospel to you? All right, well, that was just to warm up, uh, get you get you ready. Now for the first point, which is the origin of communication, the origin of communication. The concept of communication really is a fascinating one. Uh, the dictionary definition of communication is the imparting or exchanging of information or news. So God created man in his image uh, with the capacity of receiving communication and also with the capacity of participating in communication. The vehicle of communication is language, and we need to understand that language is God's idea and God's invention and not man's. I mean, again, this ungodly worldview flips that on its head and just says, yes, in the same way that animals grunt toward one another or birds chirp and they end up figuring out what it is, so mankind has developed language in order to communicate with each other. And we say, no, not at all. Language is not man's idea. It's God's idea. God started to communicate in language with Adam from the very beginning. Um, and then God told Adam to use language to name the animals. So Adam was participating in, in that language and communication. 
Remember, God took a rib from Adam and made Eve, which would have been big news for Adam. Uh, Adam communicated with, uh, sorry, God communicated with Adam and Eve directly, and both of them communicated with God, and they communicated with one another. So um, we want to understand, obviously, there is such a thing as body language. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to ignore the fact that there is such a thing as body language. Adam and Eve ran and hid behind a bush from God. That was some form of body language that would have communicated something. It would have communicated guilt and shame. And we use body language as well. Again, I don't, I don't want to pretend that that's not a thing. <clears throat> but I do want to understand the primacy of spoken language and written language as the main form of communication between between us. All right, so since evangelism involves human communication, we just wanted to get an understanding of the origin of communication, recognizing that God, uh, God invented human language for the purpose of communication. It's God's idea. All right, now we move on to planting and watering, planting and watering. So this analogy of planting and watering or sowing and watering, is a, it's a biblical analogy, really, for uh, evangelism or for sharing the gospel. So the fact that I'm using this analogy is theologically safe. If the scripture uses it, then hey, I can use it better than some of the ones that I come up with myself. Um, but I'm going to expand on it a little bit, and I hope I'll do so in a, in a faithful way. So you think about planting and watering. The seed, the seed that gets planted that is the gospel itself. That's what we're out trying to plant. It's the good news of the person and work of Christ, as we've been, as we've been saying. So that's the seed. The planter, the planter is the person who is communicating the gospel, the person who is sowing the seed. That's, that's the planter. And that would, be, that would be us as we participate in evangelism. The ground, the ground or the soil is the audience. That's the person that we're talking to person who's receiving this gospel communication. Now, obviously, the hope that we have is for this to take root. We, we pray that the seed that we're sowing and, uh, and, and the person that's listening to us, we pray that God is going to bless that and he's going to uh, make that grow into eternal life. That's the hope. That's what we're praying for. Um, and if that happens, I mean, just think about planting a tree. Once the tree matures, then the tree starts producing seeds itself, and you might get other trees, right? You've got this idea of, of growth. So as we think about that, um, that's just basic stuff about planting and watering or planting. But, but then you ask the question, well, what does the watering represent? Right? You've got this idea of planting and watering. How does that come into play? When you're, when you're when your goal is to plant a tree and, and to have a tree grow, what, what about water? Well, yeah, water is pretty important. How about the environment? What if it, there's a frost or something like that? How does that play into it, and how does that come into the analogy? Well, um, that it, do, it does matter, and, and so does the soil, by the way. The soil matters as well. But what I want to say about the soil is that since the soil represents the heart, the human heart that you're dealing with, you don't have a lot of direct impact on that, right? 
you can you can't directly impact and change a sinner's heart you can't use not a whole lot that you can do to soften that that's the work of god really and we pray that god would do that right i've heard someone say that you want to talk to god about man before you talk to man about god you want god going before you and softening the soil he doing the work that only he can do all right so um with with all that the analogy the analogy of uh, planting and watering the, the watering would represent just um, our overall Christian witness to unbelievers, okay? Um, warm weather means that the Christian cares for and has a love for the lost. And believe it or not, unbelievers can see that and see if it's genuine or not, right? They can sense from you whether or not you actually care for them and whether you actually have a love for them. And that means something. There's an environment that is... Uh, that is around us when we're doing evangelism, and part, part of that really matters. Your care for and your, your love for the lost. Okay, and then um, also the Christian kindness that we show toward others, the goodness that we show toward the unbelievers. All of that can be sort of looked at as, as, as watering. First <clears throat> um, Corinthians 3 <clears throat> tells us about one who plants and one who waters, but if you know the passage, it's God who causes the growth. So watering can take on just so many different forms. If you think of just your Christian witness to unbelievers, there's, there's so, so many different aspects of that, right? Are you smiling at people? Are, you know, are, you, <clears throat> are you being kind? And, and uh, all, all of that stuff. So um, if someone knows you're a Christian and sees Christian kindness coming from you, then you can chalk that up under watering, and I would say that is very important. It's so important, and it, it is well-pleasing to God. Our Christian witness to unbelievers is very important, and it is well-pleasing to God. But my focus here is on evangelism, which is the planting aspect, right? You've got the planting and then the watering, and I say, yes, watering is important. We don't want to neglect that, but planting is what we're talking about with evangelism. It's the seed. So um, there is a, uh, there's a saying that's attributed to uh, Francis of Assisi. May maybe some of you have heard it. Reformed folks don't like this saying, and I don't like it either. But the saying is, always be sharing the gospel and use words only when necessary. Have you guys heard that? Yeah, always be sharing the gospel and use words only when necessary. Well, you know, the sentiment there, I guess, would be that um, as Christians, we can do a lot of like watering. You, you can show a lot of kindness to people, and you don't really need to use words to show kindness. There's a lot that you can do there, and if that's all that the saying ha means, then that's fine as far as it goes, right? You can you can smile at an unbeliever, and maybe you can make their day, right? Good for you, <clears throat> and that's that's great. But that's not evangelism. That's not evangelism at all. Um, evangelism has to do with sharing the words, the, the message. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, 17. So evangelism is communicating the gospel message and no amount of kindness toward unbelievers will get the gospel message communicated, okay? Uh, again, I feel like I have to say this, uh, watering and weather are very important. Um, and I, I'm not trying to downplay that, but we have to understand that evangelism is seed. It is seed. And that means that um, 
those words of communication need to be planted. If they're not planted, then it's, it's just not evangelism. So it seems that the analogy in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3 about planting and watering would, would teach us this, that the one who plants and the one who waters are working together. Okay, if, if your goal is to get a tree to grow, the idea of, well, well I wanna plant it first and then I wanna water it, and you say, right, because both of those are going to contribute to the same goal, which is to get a tree to grow. So the one who plants and the one who waters are both working toward the same goal, which is seeing a new tree grow. Planting doesn't work without water, okay? The, the soil and the seed need water. And water by itself without seed won't work either, okay? Um, and um, I think just to keep the planter and the waterer humble, um, that passage tells us that it's God who causes the growth, right? So yes, do the work of planting, and then yes, do the work of watering, but remember, it's God who causes the growth. All right, so um, our focus today is, is with planting, and this may be the third time I say it, I don't want to cast a shadow on those whose work in the kingdom of God is primarily watering, right? The showing of goodness and kindness and hospitality to unbelievers, that, that is very important. All right, let's move on to effective communication. Talked about the origin of communication. Now we want to understand what does it mean to communicate effectively. Um, since planting involves communication, right, we, we touch on the idea of uh, effective communication. This is a huge topic, right? Effective communication is something that impacts people in all different areas of life, and you can probably take classes and courses on how to be a better communicator and how to communicate more effectively. There's a lot to be done there. And to be honest with you, it's beyond my pay grade to, to get deep into that. It's not like I've, it's not like I've studied effective communication. Um, but I, I'll just share with you what I have, which is just the basics. <clears throat> I think that uh, we, we all participate in communication. Uh, even, even young children participate in communication. <clears throat> um, parents who haven't taken classes on communication still teach their kids how to effectively communicate. Okay, so we're, we're all doing that anyway. A four-year-old comes inside uh, crying, and we're trying to sit them down and have them effectively communicate to us what happened, right? We want to understand what happened so that we can help them. What, what, why are you crying? What hurts? Did you fall? Someone hit you? Or uh, the kids come in, because they've been fighting. And the parent sits down and says, okay, you tell me what happened, and now you tell me what happened, so I, I can understand what actually happened, and I want you to communicate effectively. And we, we expect that from them. Um, so when it comes to evangelism, we are trying to get the information, the news, about the gospel understood by the audience. That's really, that's really the basic idea. I want to communicate, we want to communicate the gospel in such a way that the audience understands what we're saying. They have to get it, they have to understand it. We want them to comprehend it, we want them picking up what we're laying down, okay? We, you know, if, I, if I'm sharing with someone and, and I, tell, I say, you feel me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't talk that way anymore. But I want someone saying, yeah, yeah, I feel you, right? Like, that, that's the idea. Then, you know, I, you want them to get it. 
So next week we'll talk more about this. We'll talk about um, <clears throat> evangelism and how that applies to us and your sphere of influence. Um, but let me just say this for now. Getting the gospel understood by our audience has a lot to do with the audience, has a lot to do with the audience and our relationship to them. Okay. Um, I, I might know how to get an old friend to understand the gospel using particular words and, and analogies and figures of speech that, that I, because I know the person, I, I've got old friends and I, I, do sh I have shared the gospel with them and I use, I use phrases and words and stuff that you guys would never use. No bad language, right? But I'm, I'm, using, <clears throat> I'm just using uh, language and, and figures of speech that they understand because I know that I can get through to them that way. And you guys would never use that. And same thing with you. You would share with people that you know and family members using language and terminology that make a lot of sense for you guys that, and, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't use it. But the goal, the goal is the same. I'm trying to impart the gospel to them in, a, in such a way that they understand it. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that um, evangelism is impossible when it comes to people that we don't know at all. It just makes it more of a challenge, right? Um, I, we can share the gospel with people in Fresno because we share a common language. There, there are certain common figures of speech that we all use. And, and in that way, um, we can share effectively. But you have to pay attention to who you're talking to because there are certain things that they say that will key you in into, into how you might present the gospel to them in a way that would be understood by them. All right. Um, think of Paul as he dealt with the Jews and shared the gospel with the Jews in the synagogue. Okay? We, we read that Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures He's in the synagogue. He's a Jew himself. He's, he's referencing the scriptures that are, that are common between them. There are a lot of things that are set up for Paul when he's sharing the gospel with Jews in the synagogue that are already lined up for good communication. But Paul also dealt with Greeks, and he shared the gospel with them as well. And, and he approached it a different way. You read in Acts 17, you know, Paul is quoting... Uh, pagan poets in order to get the message across to them. So his, his approach with the Jews is a little different than his approach with the Greeks, but the goal is the same. His goal is to communicate the gospel effectively to, to his audience, and, and he does that. All right, well, so effective, effectively communicating the gospel is doing it in such a way that the audience understands what we're saying. And, and again, if, you know, originally the New Testament was written in Greek, what, what if I shared the gospel with someone in, in the language that the New Testament was written in, and they don't speak a lick of Greek at all? And I say, there, I shared the gospel with them. I did it. You think, <laughs> unless, unless there's some Pentecost thing going on and <clears throat> some tongues of fire translating thing, unless that's happening, which I don't, we don't believe that kind of thing happens anymore. Um, you've got to do it in, in a language that they understand so that they come away from that thinking, I, I understood what you told me. I may not agree with it, but at least I understood it. All right, well, that takes us to our, our last point, which has four sub points. So we still have a little bit left to go here. That, <clears throat> this, is, this is the content of our communication. The, these are 
uh, what I'm going to give you are four aspects of the gospel, four, four elements of, uh, that are, I would say, necessary for understanding um, if you're going to have an accurate view of the gospel. And, and that, would, that would be the content of our communication. <clears throat> so, you know, there are lots of ways to summarize the gospel. Scripture itself summarizes the gospel. Uh, summarizes the gospel. You might find single verses in Scripture, and you say, wow, that, that's kind of like the whole gospel right there in one verse. Well, yeah, that's right. You can summarize it down to a single sentence if you want, <clears throat> or you can go super deep on it, right? Well, and, and actually, I think what Brad or Ray were saying this morning it, the gospel is so deep that you, you can never plumb the depths of it. it it's just, it goes deeper than we can go. But you can, you can spend years um, sharing the gospel with someone and just exploring the ocean of depth that, that you have there. Oftentimes, when it comes to evangelism, we don't have years and years. Um, you you kind of want to be able to share it in, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes, especially when you're dealing with someone that you might not see again. Again, if you've got a family member or friends that you have ongoing communication with, you might, you might um, have more time to, to explore it. So anyhow, I'm going to give you four elements of the gospel that I would say first need to be understood by us. If we're saved by the gospel, we have some understanding of these. And, and sort of, you know, four things are not too hard to remember. That, that'll, that can be rolling around in your head as you think about sharing the gospel with others. You don't have to do it in this order. <clears throat> you don't have to use these exact words, obviously, um, but this ought, to, this ought to help you get your hands around it. Um, so uh, the first aspect is God and his goodness, and then we've got man and, and evil, Jesus as savior, and a call to repent and believe. Okay, so you got God, man, Jesus and uh, repent and believe. Those are, those are four things that, if you're a Christian, you have some idea of, of those. So let's expand on them a little bit. After each day of creation, God declares that it's good. Okay? And then at the end of the creation week, he declares that it is very good. We read in Ecclesiastes 7.29 that God made man upright. God made man upright. Deuteronomy 32.4 tells us that God's works are perfect. There's still a great deal of goodness and beauty in this world, and the origin of the good is the God who made everything. God is the origin of all good, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow, all goodness, the sunshine, the air, food, everything good comes from God. And mankind was made good. Again, that's important to understand. With, with a unique and incredible status as image bearer of God. That's, that's what the origin of mankind is good and, and really incredible. And if you think about that, there are many people who reject the biblical worldview. And, and because of that, their view of mankind doesn't start as a glorious creature who has fallen. They just have this evolved primordial scum that has grown up, and you just think, what, what, where's the value? What's the purpose of man? What, what's your view of just mankind? And, yeah, whatever, nothing, just an animal. And you think, that's not the biblical view. The biblical view of mankind is that God created everything good, and he made man good. And we, we have to tell people that because that, 
again, that, that's contrary to, to popular opinion. All right, we're not evolved from primordial slime. We're made from the very hand of God himself and made good. That's the origin of goodness. That's God and his goodness. Then we move on to the second point, which is man and evil. So the same passage actually in Ecclesiastes 7.29 tells us that though God made man upright, he has sought out many schemes. You think, ah, okay. So God makes man upright, and all of the scheming that, that mankind does are things that he seeks out. Mankind seeks out many schemes. Genesis 3 tells us, that, tells us of the fall of man. We, we know that story. Man rebelled against God. Adam and Eve sinned against God. And God cursed man. Okay? God cursed man, woman, the ground, the serpent, the whole lot. God cursed everything because of man, man's sin in the garden. Right? So, yes, we have a, the start of the, of the Christian message is goodness. And then you see, well, then man sinned. Yeah, and God responded to that by cursing everything. He cursed man, woman, the ground, everything. Romans 5 tells us that the result of Adam's sin impacted all people. We've talked about that before, right? Adam represented all of mankind, and in his sin, we all sinned. We participated in that. Somehow, we're born into sin. Incredible consequences. Think about all of the people that have been born into this world. How many humans have existed since the beginning? All born into sin, guilty because one man took a bite out of a piece of fruit. And you think, whoa, it's incredible consequences of sin. <clears throat> and as we learned about in Sunday school, we, we participate in that and contribute to that sin. We further that sin. We're born into sin, and then we, we advance in it. We, we continue that rebellion with our own wicked choices. Um, in this world, there are beautiful things to see, and then there are terribly ugly things to see. And understanding the origin of the beauty, which is God, is very important. And then really understanding the source and origin of all wicked, ugly things in this world is also important. And that the origin of that is mankind and their sin. So... Um, Getting, getting that understood is important, and, and really coming to understand um, how, that Im how that impacts ourselves, right? We're trying to get our audience in evangelism to recognize the impact of sin, the seriousness of sin, and before you can spread that to the person you're dealing with, you have to kind of get that yourself and think, whoa, you realize your own participation in sin? How much sin and wickedness and poison have you pumped into this world? How much ugliness have you contributed to in this world? That's a humbling thing. I, I think, again, Ray was just saying in Sunday school, he, he didn't become a Christian until later in life, and same thing with me. And I, I think about 28 years of, of living life just in complete rebellion to God and how many people I've hurt how, how angry God must have been for the insults that I've, that, that I, uh, that I've done toward him. I, I just think, whoa, that, I've got a, I'm, I'm, like, the ugliness in this world is, is partly because of all the, all the stuff that I've pumped into it. 
And you think of that, think of that for yourselves. Um, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who answered uh, a request um, to write an essay um, on the topic of what's wrong with this world. Right, someone wanted G.K. Chesterton to write an essay um, on that topic. What's wrong with this world? And he responded to that request with an essay that was only two words long. It just said, I am. And that was it. And you think, man, you want to know what's wrong with the world? You and people like you. People that do the things that you do. All right. Man is evil. Man has fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And God's law and the Ten Commandments works as a mirror to show people how lawless they are. That's one of the uh, purposes of God's law. All right, so then we move on, right? We talked about God and his goodness, man and his evil. Now we get to Jesus as Savior. Jesus comes into this picture halfway through the story. And if we just tell people Jesus is Savior without telling them about the, origin, the origins of man the goodness of God, the sinful corruption of man, and the just penalty for sin, then Jesus as Savior doesn't make any sense. Hey, Jesus is your Savior. Sa save me from what? You know, he's, your sa he's the Savior. Don't you want to be saved? Man, I, you, you're not telling them that that doesn't mean anything if, you don't, if they don't know what they're being saved from. Um, I've... I've, I've seen people, you know, reach out to people in, in evangelistic type efforts and just say things like, hey, how'd you like to have Jesus as your savior and go to heaven? Okay, well, pray after me and boom. And you say, was that the gospel? Was, did, was that a communication of the gospel? No, it wasn't. So was that evangelism? No. You just got somebody to say something right after you. I well, I don't know what you call that, but it, it's not evangelism if the gospel wasn't presented and understood. You just got, how, how'd you like to go to heaven is not the gospel. If I say, do you want to go to heaven instead of hell, and you get these images in your mind of, well, hell's the bad place, right? And heaven's a good place. I guess I'll go here. That, that's not the gospel. That, so we have, to, we have to share the gospel. Jesus comes into the story as the Savior and, and that means that certain things have to be understood before the Savior comes into place. Now, of course, it is possible to present Jesus as Savior to people who already have a working knowledge of God as the creator of, of man and their sinfulness. You, you might not have to start from the very beginning with everybody. You might, you might share the gospel with someone who already has a working knowledge of that stuff. And in that case, in that case you are presenting the gospel. I'm just saying that you can't just say Jesus is Savior and to a person who's got absolutely no understanding of God and sin and the just penalty of sin. All right. Um, I would say that in, in our country and the people that I've shared the gospel with, um, I think that there still are a lot of people, maybe in the older generations, who have an understanding of a biblical worldview of, of God and sin and, and the rest, but increasingly, especially with the younger generation, just no, no idea at all. I mean, you really have to get to the beginning of the story with them. They've got no concept of, of, of the understanding of, of, of God and, and sin and all the rest. All right, Jesus is God's answer to the sin problem that we have. Jesus is the Son of God sent in the world to save sinners. Uh, we've been learning about this, uh, the contrast between Christ and, and us. 
Uh, he never sinned, and yet he died the death of a sinner, taking the penalty of sin onto himself. We broke God's law, and Jesus paid the fine. Jesus earned heaven by his perfect obedience to the law, which is exactly what we were talking about in Sunday school, his active obedience. And he freely gives us his righteousness so that we can be fit for heaven, fit for the inheritance that we learned about this morning. Jesus is the only hope for sinners, and he is a perfect savior. Uh, and since he came into the world to save sinners, he can be freely offered to all sinners who will come and drink from the living water without price. We just sang that this morning in the song. Um, um, come, come to him without price, right? You, you, don't have to, you don't have to pay anything. This is a free gospel that we have for people. Now, it's free to us. It, was, it wasn't free to Christ. He, he paid an extraordinary price. But when we go to sinners and say, I, I've got good news for you. Christ paid the penalty for sin. I have a free gospel for you, right? It's not going to cost you anything it, well, except turning and repenting. All right, so um, that takes us to our last point, actually, the, the call of sinners to repent and believe the gospel. Now, you might think that, well, once I tell people about who God is and who they are uh, as sinners, and then I tell them about Jesus and what he's done, then I'm done, right? What, what else is there? Man, ending on a high note. I just told him about Jesus and, and, and all that he's done. You say, okay, Jesus is the savior of the world, right? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the question is, does that mean that all sinners are thereby saved? Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? What, what must I do to be saved? Well, a lot of Calvinists start shifting uncomfortably in their chairs. He said, do. He, he said, what must I do to be saved? I, I, Jesus did it all, right? I don't have to do anything. Okay, well, if you don't have to do anything, then everyone's saved. Because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Or, or do I have to do anything? Well, why don't you read what the Bible says, right? You, what do you tell sinners to do? You tell sinners to do what God tells you to tell sinners to do. God calls all men everywhere to repent. Huh? Acts 17.30. So to, to the person you share the gospel with, uh, and God, God calls you to repent of your sin. You need to turn from your sin. That's what you're telling them to do, because God tells you to tell them to do that. God commands them to do that. The Philippian jailer asked the apostles, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? Well, Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That was the response. Repent and believe. That's what God, he doesn't just invite people to do that. He commands them to do that. Repent and believe. You have to do that. And if you don't tell people you, you give them the idea of God and man and Jesus, and you don't tell them how they can be saved, then you haven't finished sharing the gospel with them. You, you have to tell them what God says. They must repent of their sin. They must turn and trust in Christ. They have to do that. If they don't, they won't be saved. And so they must do that. Now, since 
we're all Calvinists here, and, and I'm one, obviously. Um, you don't have to, you, uh, we don't tell people, you know, you can't repent and believe unless God gives, gives that to you as a gift. But we know that they won't repent and they won't believe unless God grants that to them. God must grant repentance and faith is a gift from God. We know that, but that's not what the scripture says to tell them, right? I, you're telling them to repent and believe and you will be saved, just like the apostles told the Philippian jailer, right? If they do repent and believe and they come to church and we want to teach them, you know, repentance was a gift and faith was a gift, right? You couldn't even do that unless God was, uh, unless God was at work. All right. Um, as we think about sharing these, these different four points as I've laid them out for you, um, I first say it's hard enough to share anything about Christianity with others, isn't it? Especially with unbelievers. Is that hard to do? Of course it is. It's difficult, right? You think, oh, man, there go the butterflies again, and I'd rather, I'd rather clam up than, than start saying something about my Christian faith. But if you, if you get to, the, to point one, you say, all right, I'll, I'll tell you about God and goodness. Well, that's not so hard to share, right? God made the sunshine and the, and the birds and the flowers. Okay, that's relatively easy. And then you, you talk about point two and man is, is sinful. And, and then even sharing with the person that you're talking with, uh, not only is mankind sinful, but I'm a sinner and so are you. That gets a little harder to do. Um, point three about Jesus. I mean, this is, this is the wonderful news about Jesus and, and all that he's done for us. And that, that's also, that's relatively easy. But then point four, I mean, calling people to repent and believe. Whew, that's hard to do. It's hard to tell people, you know, you need to turn from your sin. They love their sin. They love telling someone you can't continue living for yourself. You have to turn from that. All of the, uh, the sinful direction that you're going in, you have to stop and turn from that. That's hard to do. But it's the best thing for them. It's what God commands of them. And if you want to be loving to your unbelieving friends and family and, and just fellow mankind, you have to tell them what God tells you to tell them. And you, if, if you want their good, if you actually have a love for them, you're going to share with them the most loving thing that you can share with them. It, it, tell them to repent and believe. Give them the gospel and tell them what, what they must do. All right, so in summary then, evangelism is communicating the gospel to others, and the gospel involves information. Information. The seed of the gospel is the message of the gospel. The, there is watering and showing Christian love, and God uses all of that to aid the, the growth process but strictly speaking, evangelism is communicating the gospel message. And effective communicating, effectively communicating meaning, means that the listener understands what you've shared with them. They actually understand it. It doesn't mean that they respond well to it. Okay, a lot of people think, I, I don't think I did a good job. Why not? I don't know, a person kind of got upset with me. They didn't like when I started talking about these things, and it just didn't feel like... It was a good response. And I'd say, well, if God isn't at work in their hearts, then you can expect that kind of response, right? Again, this is the aroma of death to those who are perishing. It's the aroma of life to those who, are, who have been born again. But don't, don't think that your uh, 
that your message or your communication was bad because the response was bad. Okay, you, you've done a good job at communicating the message of the gospel if, if you've actually got the information across. And a lot of times, their negative response to you is actually uh, a vindication that you did a good job, right? Um, you, you got across to them this, the idea of sin and them having to turn from it, and they didn't like to hear it. And that means that them getting upset with you means that God is smiling at you. All right. Um, so the four points, just to, to end it, are God and his goodness, basically who God is, man and his sinfulness, who man is, Jesus and his cross, who Jesus is, and then a call to repent and believe, which is how man must be saved. Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that your gospel message has come to us. Grateful, Lord, that you granted us repentance and faith, that whoever it is that planted and whoever it was that watered, um, we're grateful for their service to you and, and to us, but we're grateful to you most of all for causing the growth. You've, uh, you've changed us and you've made us a new creation. You've regenerated us. You've recreated us. We are born again because of your power and your goodness, and it was through the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing of the word of Christ. And that's been shared with us, Lord, and, and we're, we're grateful to, to, to have that gospel and, and to have your word where your gospel is explained um, more fully. Pray, Lord, that, um, that this message would be uh, understandable to us, that that it might help us to, to keep your gospel message at the tip of our tongues so that uh, as you lead us and as you open doors for us, um, that we wouldn't let the butterflies stop us from, from speaking, speaking the word that would be glorifying to you and ultimately everlastingly good for those who you are pleased to save through that word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Matt. Well, I invite you to stand as we sing our hymn of response. I love the Tell the Story, hymn number 438. 